You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 423 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. And I'm your co-host, Nick Schwaderer. Yay. I am so glad to be talking to you again, Nick. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing fantastic. I love these conversations and I got to see you very recently at yet another conference. It's just a weird world where I'm seeing you now more than I see some people I know in the UK, which is like crazy, but that's how it should be like with these conferences. So it's good to be back and realizing that people actually exist in real life. I know. I see you on Twitter all the time and it's just like part of my life. And it's just so great to see you in person, both at Sin City and RailsConf. I just hope, you know, we get to see each other again this year. Yep, absolutely. And I've always been like, if the conferences are going, if they're in person, I can't make them all. I mean, I think if I was 22 and working a full-time dev, just like living on my own, oh yeah, I'd go 10 times a year, but (laughs) there's probably an upper bound on limits, but I've officially, oh, I got to say this, Chris Seaton though, who does Truffle Ruby at Shopify, we both live in the UK and he has officially switched me into like rewards life. I've never looked into this. And I have now seen the light if you stick with BA or whoever your nearest provider for stuff is, and you're doing a lot of travel, oh my goodness, you can get some nice treats early on. So that's my new side quest for the year. I love that. Are you going to end up in like a premium lounge, like whenever you're waiting for flights to happen? Because that is a dream of mine. I have to fly too far for everything now because of all the American stuff. So I figured get those points. So with BA, there's bronze, silver, and gold, and all have great benefits. So bronze, which I just hit. You get priority boarding all the time. So if you're just doing a carry-on bag, you can get on before everyone and get your bag in. Silver is the key, though, because that's when you just get all the lounges everywhere. And I'm like, if I'm doing eight hours of jet lag for half of these conferences, I might as well get a place to go sit, right, when the airport's full. So never done it before, but that's the goal for the year. Very first world problems. Definitely. One of the best things I've ever done for myself is getting TSA pre-check. Now, I learned the hard way when I went to Paris RB that, you know, obviously TSA pre-check does not work internationally. But for all the domestic flights that I have to do, just being able to go through security without having to pull everything out has paid off in spades, I would say. That's so awesome. And you know what goes really, really well with a really long flight? Where you Tell me. A handheld console. Okay, so I saw you tweet about this. So I have moon thumbs. Do you know what moon thumbs are? No, but please tell me. (laughs) So my two thumbs actually bend so far back that I can almost touch my nail to my hand. Whoa. Yeah, which was the ideal thumbs to have when you're really into Game Boy. So like I was huge Nintendo, like subscribed to Nintendo Power, absolutely loved my Game Boy was cheesy enough to have the add-on hardware so you could get the cheat codes automatically. (laughs) But admittedly, Nick, like I've fallen out of it. And I wonder sometimes if it would be good for me to pick up a hobby like that because I don't really care for mobile gaming on my phone. So I wanted to get your thoughts on it. That's really cool. I think we're the right generation to kind of have an interesting opinion because there's been some sort of video game pretty much all our life, which is quite cool. But when we were little, it was very much, oh, just these kids thing. But now I think it's like everybody has access and we've seen console gaming, you know, where when I was growing up is all Sony stuff, PlayStation one, two, three, and then mobile gaming became a big thing where everyone got in with their smartphone. And I thought it was super fun for like 2011 to 2014, 15. Yeah. Like you, I can't get into anything, any mobile gaming. I'd have to say for me, I always like just playing my PlayStation. 
the thing I tweeted about that I think so, like I'm married and I find it's quite prohibitive if you want it, like maybe not all time, but in the evening after dinner, if you're chilling in your living room and you're playing a PlayStation, it's kind of the thing that takes over the TV, mm-hmm. right? Which is great. And there's a lot of great games. But if you have, so I play a Switch at the moment and you're able to find games you like there. Hey, Laura, my wife can be watching maybe even something I wouldn't like, right? But I'm there. We're looking at different screens, but it doesn't feel as depressing as if we had two TVs. I'm not saying that's depressing, by the way. If anybody has two TVs, that's totally fine. People can be in the other room, but I just found, hey, I can always be here. And I've sucked into some addicting game like Dead Cells or Hades or something. And yeah, so I've been doing that since March of the pandemic, 2020. Really enjoyed it. And it's great for flying. So you can play it on the TV, taken around. But yeah, I've just put in a reservation for my next handheld console. So I'd say, I don't know if you do anything at the moment, any console or PC. I always feel like not cool because I don't PC game and all the cool people seem to do that. But I think it's a really nifty. And I think the Switch has games for whatever you're into. It doesn't have to be necessarily Nintendo games, though. I definitely go for Mario Kart once in a while. Do you like long form adventure games or do you like puzzle games? The long form ones, though, I feel like you kind of have to get past that second, third or fourth hour to like really feel invested in it. So like on the PlayStation, I love like Fallout or Skyrim and you could play that for millions of hours. Actually, Skyrim's on the Switch now, too. So you could play that for 300 hours on the Switch. But yeah, for me in a nice open world, Breath of the Wild was one too. Open world, just do whatever you feel like. Kind of game is really addicting. I don't know, at least from Game Boy or styles of game, are there genres that you find really drawn to or think you'd want to try first? Yeah, I really liked Zelda. I was a huge Mario fan. I love the side scrollers. So Castlevania was my favorite. And so maybe what I need to do is find games that have been ported to Switch that I used to love to. Maybe that would get my toes to dip back in because I know they've ported a bunch of that stuff over. It's nostalgia, right? Bottled. Yeah, and I don't want to turn this into like the gaming podcast, but I have opinions. Side-scrollers, there's more of them than there ever were. Dead Cells, that game I just talked about, is a side-scroller, but in the modern era, but like old school graphics, really addicting. But here's what I do if I don't know what to play. So like you can have friends. So I'll open like to anybody who wants to be my friend on Switch. But when you look at their profile, it lists the last 15 games. Now you can obviously set your privacy, but it lists the last 15 games they've played. And how many hours they've played those games. And I won't call them out, but there's some games that all my friends, it's never more than two, three hours. They play it and forget it. But then you'll see one where someone's 180, 200, 300 hours. You're like, that must be fun. And in fact, Aaron Patterson has a switch publicly on his Twitter. So like some people post them and you can go friend them instantly and see what they've been playing. And that's how I literally source most of my games now is what's Bill playing, you know? Okay, well, you have me convinced, Nick. So speaking of Aaron Patterson, actually, you have a new role at Shopify. And so I'd love to dig into what that is, how you made the switch, like just all of it. Yeah, cool. Thank you. So I announced and it was announced publicly on the Monday, but I announced at my talk formally on Tuesday of RailsConf that I am now part of the Ruby and Rails infrastructure team, which is at the moment about 47 people, believe it or not. And I don't want to speak for my manager's manager, but we are the people that you're probably most familiar with working in the ecosystem and open source and all of that. So I'm quite excited to be there. It's weird to have coffee chats booked into my calendar with people that we'd all know. That's a little terrifying. But yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. And this is like my dream. 
And I'm sure no one who listens is surprised. (laughs) No, they're probably not. But I feel like you definitely feel the same way about this as I do, Nick. Like the people that work on that team are people that we've looked up to forever. And so it's just like an incredible opportunity for you to be doing that. And like, whether you know it or not, like people are looking up to you too. And so someone who likes to nerd out on all the past Ruby type things, like it's just incredibly cool that you're now contributing to it because that was your first episode, was your first pull request into Rails on the Ruby on Rails podcast. Oh, you remember. Yes, that was it. It was a good pull request. But yeah, now it's an expectation as a part of my day job. I guess I could talk briefly about the work if you don't mind. So I'm still learning. So I'm formally onboarding this week. I had a gap due to an illness and that's all I said. And I formally started this week. So I'm learning all of our rituals, right? But one of the things we do, so Shopify is famous. I think they're famous for this. Maybe they're not famous for running on Rails Edge, Rails main. As the commits come out every week, Shopify is running on it. And that's something that people think, okay, Shopify is really into the open source community. And also, hey, Rails is really stable. That's my team. (laughs) So literally today I was pairing with a Rails core member on some bugs that we've identified with the latest commit of Rails. It's not a big deal. That's just a very common part of the work. But for me, it's super exciting to know this work existed and participate. And it's nice that it's less secret. Because before I was working in internal tooling, and I could talk about stuff, but really not everything. Whereas a lot of this is meant to be broadcast to the community and shared with the community. You know what I mean? If you've been considering trying Honey Badger, now is the time. They have two really cool new features I just learned about. They now have status pages and can monitor your SSL certs. Whether US East 1 is down or you forgot to add a configuration file, everyone has an outage from time to time. When your next outage occurs, transparency is critical. The difference between a minor annoyance that people soon forget and a fiasco that creates sustained resentment is in how you communicate. They just shipped an update that can help communicate outages to your customers. Public status pages with custom domains and branding. Many certificate authorities, such as Let's Encrypt, will automatically renew your SSL certificates for you. But if you manage your own certificates, you have to remember to renew them yourself. If you forget, your customers won't be able to access your website and HoneyBadger will sound the alarm. HoneyBadger Uptime Monitoring can now warn you before your SSL certificates expire so that you remember to update them before your customers are affected. Check out HoneyBadger.io to learn more. I have so many questions. So when a new commit hits main on Rails Rails, does that mean Shopify is just running their, from what I understand, a very comprehensive test suite and then automatically deploying that across? Yeah, so we have an internal tool. I think it's a tool that we want to open source long term, but it opens the PR once a week, I believe. I will get DMs about if I've said any of these facts incorrectly, but it's about once a week and it okay. just opens the PR. Egg pointing to this commit hash like this exact as of today. We're not doing it every commit that comes out, right? We're doing it once a week, which is, I think people say is fair enough. And yeah, there'll be failures, right? If there's failures. And sometimes they're really easy. You reproduce them locally and you we update our own application or, hey, maybe we find something we can upstream. Or in the case of today, we couldn't reproduce it locally. And it was like a rabbit hole. I didn't really contribute like today a lot to solving it because a lot of this is all new to me. I actually wasn't working on Shopify before either. I was working on different Rails apps. There's a lot that's very new to me, but it's really fun learning the processes. And I'm desperately trying to keep track of my learnings as I go deeper into Rails OSS and Ruby OSS 
to make some of these things repeatable for others who want to get involved as well. Because you know what I'm like, we always talk about like sharing what we learn with the community and stuff like that. Well, when Ruby Weekly featured the RailsConf panel and said that it was the collection of the friendliest people in the community, (laughs) I really love that. But especially you, Nick, you are absolutely very approachable and friendly. Does that mean that we're going to see you more in these pull requests and these issues on GitHub? Yeah. So, you know, like anywhere else in Shopify, we're project driven. So there's like maintenance work. But what's really cool about the Ruby and Rails infrastructure area is there's a bit of what I'd call mm, productive chaos. You don't bring in somebody like Eileen Ushatel and just be like, right, we're going to give you a stack of work. Go do the work. Eileen is very much Eileen. But we still have projects, so there's a certain balance of where people are doing what they've always done. And I want to be a part of that, too, where I'm a face that you see in Rails and Ruby as the year goes on, but also working. When I say project work, it's usually has a tie into open source, but it might be something specific like, hey, on the monolith, we do this thing with tests or databases, and it's a bit hacky and we need to improve it. And maybe we can upstream this to Rails, stuff like that maybe takes weeks or months. But yeah, so that's the kind of stuff we'll we'll be working on. And I want to say that, pan, are you talking about the Twitter panel, the Twitter space panel? Oh, yeah, I was going to mention that, but like, oh. let's definitely segue to that. Sorry, I got a shout out from a team member and this. I want to say like a career highlight for me. So it's hard to tell when you're given a talk. So I just want, I'm going to jump to the talk, but it ties into the team. So I gave a Ruby archaeology talk at RailsConf, which is great. Never been to RailsConf. But when I came in, I saw some familiar faces. I saw you, Brittany. Thank you for being there. And I saw some of our podcasting friends. I believe Andrew was there and Drew Bragg was there for part of it. And I felt really nice. And then right as they were like dimming the lights, I see like Aaron Patterson and Jean Bossois and some like Rails course sitting in like the fourth row. They're just sitting there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I talk about Ruby history. And these are people who will know everything about what I talk about. <laughs> And then when the lights dimmed, I couldn't see anyone's faces. And actually it wasn't because I have shaded glasses that I wore, but that wasn't it. It was a spotlight on my face and then shaded glasses. And I was like, I have no feedback here because I didn't really do like a bunny talk. So I couldn't really hear. So there's no feedback really with compared to RubyConf where I could really see people. Sin City Ruby, I could really see people. And so I come out of the talk feeling okay, but it was really unnerving for me. And I just kind of kept that to myself. And then I was listening. And then on the Twitter, Shopify had a post RailsConf party with a Twitter space with some people. And I was listening in and Aaron Patterson literally said at one point, hey, can I say my talk about my favorite talks, by the way? I said, yeah, yeah, Aaron. He's like, yeah, I loved Ruby Archaeology by Nick Schwader. And I was like, yes. That was my career highlight was getting called out on that panel because there's a hundred talks. I can barely remember all the talks I went to, let alone like calling out. So yeah. And then they actually wrote that in the blog. Aaron liked Ruby Archaeology by Nick Schroeder. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I've definitely had positive interactions, but the first time I gave that talk, I was talking about his code because I change gems every time I give it. I was talking about Nokogiri. So I'm like, this is someone who can really tear apart my hypotheses. So yeah, that was a pretty nice experience. I totally agree with you, Nick. I think you take a risk every time you do one of those because it is so likely that you're going to have someone who's been in the community since the very beginning coming to your talks. And I love that about your talks because they're just so incredibly ambitious. 
And while, you know, the talks in theory might not be funny per se, like you're not purposely injecting humor, they end up being really fun. And there is some humor that ends up being sprinkled throughout it because we're looking at old code. And so sometimes you find some humor in that. Yeah, that is true. I definitely, no matter how many times you give it, but you complimented me on my time management. I do practice to get my time right. So I feel like I really know what I'm going to say. And then, yeah, something will just happen. I think I did a little riff, something about DHH and then that was not planned. And that got a nice little laugh there. So that was my favorite spot. So if you listen to Nick's talk, which you absolutely have to, if you are going to be attending the home edition, please, please reach out to me when you find the spot where Nick mentions DHH and definitely earned himself a couple chuckles. Now, Nick, I asked you this at the lunch at RailsConf, and I'm going to ask you on the podcast too. Like you are really carving out a niche for yourself, being the Indiana Jones of Ruby. Is this something that you want to continue to invest in? Because I've noticed that past Ruby's is back. So like, what's your whole thought process on that? Yeah, thank you, Brittany. That's a really good question. And I've been thinking about it a lot. I'll be honest, the moment that talk was done, now this is a precursor to what I'm really going to say, uh, this overwhelming feeling of it is now done. I've done the Ruby archaeology. I have finished. This is it. And also, I don't know if I shared this, but to me, it was like, as a career thing, speaking at Ruby Kagi, RubyConf, and RailsConf in the same year, to me, that's like the Grand Slam. Like, mm-hmm. those are the three big ones. And that was, like, we went out to, like, a Michelin star dinner. That's how, I think, Xavier did a talk where he talked about buying a very, very, very fancy watch for his project, Scythric. And for me, it's just going out to a really, really fancy meal for doing my Ruby Grand Slam. But since getting home and talking with some people at work and just getting into some other things and they say, have you heard about this? Have you heard about this? Hey, Nick, back in 2005, you know, all this stuff. And I'm starting to get more ideas. I'll be honest with you. And it won't necessarily be this format, but some of my CFPs over the next year will have historical themes. I think there's interesting things to talk about. I'll say a few here, just focusing on some of these gems, not necessarily about running them that used to be around and no one talks about anymore. I could probably go through about 15 in a talk and and have that be really fun. Ruby web apps that you've never heard of. I have about a dozen that aren't Hanami or Sinatra or Camping or Rails. So there's a lot of topics and there's things I want to do. So yeah, the talking is one, the speaking, the newsletter, and I'll touch more on that in a second. But I think there's tooling that can be built about exploring old Ruby that I've already started building for myself that might be able to be brought out. So there's certain projects that are code related and there's just kind of a collection of ideas that I think might need to be hosted somewhere like rubyarchaeology.com where you have one tab for the talks, you have one tab for the newsletter, you have a tab for like the library of Alexandria of Ruby where we like preserve all the blog posts the last 30 years. I don't know. But yes, to answer for you, Brittany, I have more ideas and it's kind of like the test is if I won the lottery tomorrow, would I still do this? And I definitely would. Uh, Oh, I love that. This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. 
See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash Ruby on Rails. Do you know of any open CFPs, you know, in the next year that you would want to apply some history talks to? There are two that are open right now. Well, I don't know when this will come out. If it comes out in the month of June. It um, will. There are one to two that are open. So especially for over here. So Ruby Kaigi is open. So that's in Japan. That's been going since 2003. That's a very historical conference. Why the Lucky Stiff was at one. It and did the arc for one, believe it or not. And I'd love to go. I was accepted last year, but it was remote. Japan is very funny about foreigners at the minute. They've just opened up to some very, very restricted travel for foreigners, but it's three months away. So I'll, I'll apply to that. If you're applying listener, which I recommend you do, Kaigi is definitely, if you push towards the technical side on some things, I was surprised I got accepted, to be honest, because this Ruby core members get a free ticket to that. That's who it's geared towards. A lot of Ruby core are there and people are talking about running a satellite with Ruby, you know? <laughs> And the other one that's coming up in, I believe, October, November, and it's open right now, is Yuruko. That's the European Ruby Conference. We haven't had one of those in a couple of years. And it's in Helsinki, Finland, which is a super cool place I've never been to. And if you want to get very northerly, it's very, very northerly. And again, there's some geopolitical stuff around Finland, but I would definitely urge listeners to go to that. And of course, yeah, I guess technically speaking, RubyConf is before the end of the year. I know there's been talk about that on this podcast, but nothing's open at the minute as I understand it. Okay. So Finland is definitely on my bucket list. Have you <laughs> been to Euroku before? No, I've never been. And I've never been like, it's so crazy, right? This is my first Rails conf. I've never been to Brighton Ruby and unfortunately I won't be able to make it this year. And I've never been to Euroku. Have you? I have not. So Isle of Ruby is the only, oh no, that's a lie. I went to Paris RB. So I've been to two European Ruby conferences, which were much smaller. And you spoke at a third one. And I believe I, you spoke at a third one. I did. You're right. I did speak at Ruby on Ice remotely. You are correct, Nixie. You're so good at the history. Like uh, no one uh, could ever beat you. <laughs> no. Uh, no, you remember my first podcast. So I have to remember your European talks. So there you go. That's fair. That's fair. I've always just been curious if Yuruko is just as big as RailsConf and RubyConf. Is that just the consolidation of all of Europe? Like I just imagine that it just has to be super rich in terms of all the speakers that are available to that area. Yeah, I think Europe has a really rich Ruby history. Like the people who put on Isle of Ruby used to be putting on, I think it was Ruby Camp Berlin or something, whatever. Like there's some German influence there. I don't know if it'd have the attendance of a RailsConf, but I think RubyConf, Yuruko, it just screams fun, honestly. And to have a conference that moves around Europe, I'm an American and I mean this with no disrespect to my homeland, but you know, when it gets announced, it's exciting. It'll be like, oh, Portland, cool, Houston, all right, Miami, neat. But like with Europe, it's such a big difference. It's like Helsinki, Finland, Paris, Berlin, Rome, you know, completely different languages. And vastly, vastly different cultures. So, and obviously selfishly for me, it's the one of two conferences that's not very, very far away. So I definitely want to go to that one. No, I agree. It's a destination conference. You build a vacation around the conference. And I actually kind of like doing vacations that way. I like vacations having some sort of purpose. 
but I like to have a couple days to do my own thing. And it's even better because you meet locals in those places and they give you recommendations of what to do. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the way to do it, I think. But for the last few, I haven't really tacked on that extra time. But I think from now, just because we're getting past pandemic life a little bit, but there's still a little like I'm coming home feeling behind now, even people take their partners sometimes or that for the week before, like I was at Sin City Ruby and Jonathan Ganhegi, someone I work with, brought meet and family. And I thought it was really cool how some people like to do that. And yeah, so that's something I'll think. And by the way, while we're talking conferences, I'd be interested because I haven't asked and I, unfortunately I'm getting caught up on my podcast because it's recently ill. So I don't know what you've already said. So you don't have to repeat things if it's already been said on the podcast. But coming back from RailsConf, how was the feeling? I can't remember. Did you have representation from your team there as well? Yeah, that's a good question. So first of all, Nick, I want to be super clear that I saved all of my RailsConf feelings for you. Yes. <laughs> to be fair, I did have David Hill on the podcast and we talked about his talk specifically. But overall for RailsConf, I thought it was an incredibly successful RailsConf. You know, I was on the program committee and we'll continue with the in-home experience next week, which we definitely want to talk about. But we had seven people total from Texas go. Oh, and most God. of them have never been to a conference before. I am very spoiled in the fact that I have worked a lot of jobs that have sent me to conferences. And I have to remember that as a privilege. Yep. And I need to make sure that the teams that I manage get that same privilege because I think they're incredibly important. I definitely rocked the hallway track a lot, knowing that I was going to be able to see a lot of the talks at the at-home edition. But the ones that I did sit through, and you already mentioned it, but that keynote was incredible. Oh my like, just such, such high quality. Did you have any favorite parts? I don't know if you felt this working while you were there, you know, like running your track. But well, I guess you're at your track, but between jet lag and preparing for my talk, like that was a serious. And then if you had that with being a hallway track kind of person, I definitely didn't get to do all however many 10 that I wanted to. But I definitely did a fair few per day. So if you need one recommendation, easy watch, but like really good content. I don't remember the speaker, but there's a Rails game show. And if you just want to watch something over lunch, it was like, the game Taboo, which I haven't played, but you had to say certain things that we use in Rails without using 15 words in a game show format. And it was a crowd pleaser. So if you want something nice and good content, but easy to watch, that's a good one to start with. So can I tell you, Nick, that one of my teammates was one of the contestants on that. And so I'm sad that I didn't get to see him. He and I regularly talk about how good he is at Ruby and Rails. And I often have to convince him out of his imposter syndrome. And so he appears to me during the conference and he has all of these Ruby cookies. And I was like, where did you get these from? And he's like, oh, I competed in this game show. I was like, well, how'd you do? And he looked at me and he goes, come on, Brittany, it's me. And I'm like, yes, this is the confidence I want. I was jumping up and down, Nick. That is exactly what I want to see from him. So... Was Which he the very person cool. doing the toy box? He sure was. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Watch it, folks, just for the toy box. Like how just to describe a, a database to a child. Love it. And I wanted to touch upon too, we talked about it a little bit, but this is one of those situations where new tech comes out and I haven't kept on it. And so I was super excited to attend the RailsConf after party Twitter space that Shopify hosted. Nick, I will tell you, I had never done a Twitter space before, so I had no idea what I was doing. So can you kind of explain a Twitter space? Are you familiar with the concept? Like oh my gosh, they're so weird. 
It's just literally, I think there used to be a thing called Clubhouse and then Twitter ate their lunch. Oh, yes. (laughs) So basically, you get this little orb in your ab at the top that's purple. And you click on it. I'm describing it like an 80-year-old. And you just hear people talking. And so anybody can set them up with up to 10 speakers. People can request to speak. The rest are listeners. And you just hang out. It's a very popular medium at the minute. Now, normally all I see is like these random, I'm not dissing, but like crypto, NFT, people talk for like 30 hours, political, not stuff Uh I'd want to listen to personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a chance for people to informally hang out and chat and audio. And it doesn't work on desktop. It only works on the mobile app. So weird because we like to have our microphones and headphones all set up. But no, 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 this does not work. I repeat, you cannot record except by holding your phone near your face, which is insane. Okay, Nick. So I am that grandma then because you just solved my question because I logged in on desktop and I was like, why is this experience so weird? (laughs) I don't have the Twitter mobile app because I try not to have social media apps on my phone. So you just solved that mystery for me. So thank you very much. There you go. Well, I do have it on my phone, but I'm similar to you. Like I have about 59 words muted. Many people don't know you can mute words on Twitter. So that like I heavily curate what I look at. So it's all pretty much tech. But yeah, so what Shopify has been doing and we have dedicated people who look into how we interface with the community and relate with the community instead of just like hiding in our work. And one of the things that they're trying to do is kind of in office hours where some of the people you may know, you may know me because you listen to this podcast, but you know, like our core members and stuff. And they just come on or Ufuk or Mike D'Alessio, the managers, and just have an open conversation and very, you know, like really interact with people and have a very human chat. So we did that for Post Railscom. And I actually wasn't on it, but I got invited to speak when they saw I was on uh, a listing, which was quite terrifying because I was just laying on the couch after work. <laughs> and they said, oh, hey, Nick's here. Nick, does Nick want to talk? But yeah, so I'd say keep your eye out for that. If you look at Shopify Engineering on Twitter, if you're into that, I mean, you listen to podcasts. So if you want to hear Rubius talking so informally, it's not even edited. I think it's a neat thing. And honestly, I imagine for next few chats on this podcast, you might hear the odd idea for me as well, because like we've been talking for a long time for a number of years. And we do think about definitely like, how do you make rails faster, better? But then there's this part of my brain and maybe yours as well, which is like, okay, what are the bottlenecks or pain points of the community? For people, we always like hiring juniors, stuff like that. And you know, making open source easy for everyone to do. So that might be something that comes up in the future. But the Twitter space is one of the mediums that we're trying to interface with the community. And I think it's cool, right? I hope you enjoyed listening to it. I loved it and I want to see more of it. And it kind of makes me want to try it, but I'm definitely going to need to dig more into how it works. But I like the idea of the real-timeness of it. So... I'm not like a Twitch streamer or anything like that. But the idea of recording a podcast over Twitter could be kind of fun. Yeah. If you ever want to do either a podcast recording or a chat, like a naughty, even tell anyone. And we can maybe find one of our like community friends to get on it and just chat for an app. If I open my Twitter app and you were talking to someone, I would smash that listen button. And uh, love that. Okay, well, listeners, there's your challenge. So please tweet at Nick and I if you are willing to hold our hands through a Twitter space. We would love to do it. Yes, absolutely. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap up. Nick, it is always great to catch up. 
So glad that you're feeling better. Congratulations on the new role at Shopify. Congratulations on all the things. And listeners, if you haven't subscribed to past Rubies, smash that subscribe button that we're going to put in the show notes. Yeah, thank you so much. And great being on again. Cheers. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.